High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films. And your assignment was to just bear with us as we get through our review of as many teen films from 2022 as possible. Uh, It's been a fun ride, Aislinn. I've been having fun so far. But first, of course, this is AP it's not fun without homework, right? So we still have some homework to chat about. 100%. Yes. I hope you're enjoying our 2022 roundup. While you're here, please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good places to find podcasts. Yeah. Subscribe. Join us for all of our reviews and our regular episodes. And of course, class participation is a huge part of your grade. So follow High School Slumber Party and ourselves, if you'd like, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And just for whatever reason, if this is your first episode of AP here and you're wondering what we're doing, well, listen to the other ones. But (laughs) we have watched, with some friends, the teen and high school films from 2022. And we're sort of like, TV Guide in ya. Wow, dating myself. TV Guide was a thing back in the day. <laughs> but we're uh, some, giving you a little summaries and kind of maybe not, not nudging you, but... Yeah, a little tease here and there. Teasing here their films from last year so that maybe if you would like to watch them, then, you know, you'll take our word for it. Sort of end of reading rainbow study. <laughs> Absolutely. Some of them have... A lot of press behind them, right? We've heard of these. They're bigger named ones. And there are some that, if you weren't knee-deep in teen films, you might not know existed. So part of it is just like raising awareness about some of the really cool stories that were told um, in teen films in 2022. There you go. That That's a great way to put it. And just a reminder, too, that these are spoiler-free reactions. No spoilers here. I mean, we might spill a spoiler by accident, but it's not on purpose, I promise. We just want to kind of, you know, you, you put it perfectly, eyes on awareness. Mm-hmm. A little wet the appetite a little bit. Let you know if something is for you or as our friend um, Joey Lewandowski in the first iteration of of this year's wrap-up very clearly multiple times said, this is not a movie for you, eyes on <laughs> And I wish I could... I could be that specific to all our listeners, but it's very nice to have um, those recommendations or those, hey, stay away from this one. So that's what we're here to provide. Now, 
we're not sure how many episodes this is going to take us, so bear with us. But the feedback we get from these is tremendous. So I thank you all for that feedback. And hopefully we can do a decent job of guiding your 2023 viewing with the films of 2022. The first film we're going to talk about, we're going to jump right into it. It's a Netflix film that they were pushing really, really hard because it's based on a popular book. Yeah, highly anticipated. Highly anticipated. Where the Crawdads Sing. I have, like you, heard the tall tales told about the Marsh Girl. An abandoned child. I had a family once. They called me Kaya. A little girl surviving in the marsh on her own, reviled and shunned. Hello, Miss Kaya. I hear y'all by muscles. Sometimes I feel so invisible. I wonder if I'm here at all. You are. You're gorgeous. I want to get to know you better. There's no fingerprints on the railing. Great stuff. No fingerprints? Being isolated is one thing. Being hunted, quite another. Eisen, were you familiar with the book and are you familiar with the film at all? I'm familiar that they both exist and that people like my mom were very interested in it coming out. You know, it's it, this to me is very much one of a People magazine thing that, you know, right? The book was probably highlighted in People magazine. Once it became a film, it was highlighted in People magazine. And so I am aware that boomers were very interested. <laughs> well, at least the boomers in my life were interested. I was not familiar with the book or the film. I just knew it was a big deal because it was like Netflix was thrown it in my face. <laughs> you know? um, other people that I mentioned it to, I was like, hey, are you seen this movie? And they were like, oh, no, I want to read the book first. So clearly the book was a big deal. Controversial book. And I didn't realize that till I watched the movie. And I can't really spoil okay. why the book is controversial. Um, you'll have to Google it yourself because it will spoil the movie. Um, but Delia okay. Owens has an interesting history, and it is kind of related to the book <laughs> and the hey. film. So the film is an interesting adaptation. It's one of these, how can I put it? There's a couple of these this year, and not just in the teen film scope, but I remember having dialogue with some of the other nerds on Cage Club about how the popcorn movie was dead. And how everyone was trying to win Oscars, right? Well, I kind of think it's back because I'm seeing a lot more films like this where they're not necessarily caring about critical scores. They just want to be intriguing crowd pleasers. And crowd pleasers are not always fun films. Sometimes they're films like this. I don't, I don't, I guess that's a good, interesting point. So having not seen it, I've watched the trailer, like, you know. Um, we encourage folks to do. And so to me, it it didn't feel like what I think of as a popcorn movie. It felt very much like an Oprah's book club movie. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm kind of looping those things in together where this okay. is a movie that if you watched it and you maybe, you know, go to work or on your work Zoom or whatever and you're just chatting, 
you might be like, oh, did you see? I see. Where the crawdads Yeah, where the crawdads sing. And like, oh my God, that ending. Or oh my God, this. or Yeah, it it has, to me, the way that the trailer was cut also had a little bit of like notebook vibes. Not, Not in exactly the same way, but in that this is a period piece and there's like familial drama and i don't know it it just felt like um maybe some emotional manipulation was going to be involved and you know as you say this is a a breed of film that is more interested in the audience than the critics um how did that pan out in terms of its scores so it was 34 percent by the critics on rotten tomatoes 96% 96% by the audience. So there you go. Oh my goodness. There you go. Uh, directed by Olivia Newman. 3.2 on Letterboxd. Very much that like sort of Southern Gothic. Uh, a lot of mystery elements here. It's about a, a young woman who, you know, lives with her family in, in the marsh, essentially. They have a home. Right. On the wrong side of the track. Yeah, very much so there. Like they have to basically take a boat to their home. The mother ends up leaving because the father's abusive. The brother ends up leaving because the father's abusive. The father ends up leaving, more or less, again, without spoilers. So this is a young woman who raises herself on her own. She has some help in town, uh, specifically like the owner of the general store, kind of knows the deal and protects her a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. She will do some, like, I I think it's, oysters or clams or something along those lines she'll gather them from the marsh and sell them to him they sort of have a deal and then he'll give her provisions for that she meets a boy who lives nearby he has a boat too so he teaches her how to read again it feels very notebooky in this sense Mm -hmm. but you know here's a spoiler he goes off to college uh, and he's like oh i'll come back for my break and he doesn't come back she gets upset she ends up dating another local teenage boy who's bad news. And that's, you know, sort of where I'll leave the story. Yeah, yeah. For, for there it gets tangled in the market. Well, I'll just say this because if, even if you watch the trailer, it, it indicates right. like she's sort of on trial for a murder. And yeah. we flash back to her teenage years, essentially, mostly her teenage years in the marsh growing up and dating these boys and and such it's again it feels like oprah's book club i'm not saying it wasn't yeah. enjoyable i was hooked on the screen the entire time right would this have necessarily okay. been a movie that i would seek out probably not mm-hmm. but then afterwards I, I was looking for people literally like at work my wife like hey have you seen where the crawdads sing i gotta talk about this ending like it, <laughs> it was to that level so effect okay. effective in that way it gotcha it definitely did um it's definitely again a gossipy kind of movie the performances i thought were good especially again from our lead here daphne egger jones was amazing as kaya i mean some other recognizable faces here or there but not really i know reese witherspoon produced the movie like it was a big deal i see so it is kind of oprah adjacent then right because Oprah has a book club. Reese Witherspoon has a book club, like, off of Oprah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And then, yeah. And then, obviously, she also has, you know, produces, right? Um, And 
that's we we know that as well so that it is kind of in line it's it's the 2022 version of an Oprah's book club movie and i want to applaud to the fact that the book is written by a woman the film is directed by a woman completely produced by women here so love it you know you love to see that is this for everybody is this for probably the our, our friends at the cage club podcast network i'm thinking no but there's definitely a, a sure. niche for this was i entertained yes. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. It reminded me of Gone Girl as well, like sort of that that oh, vibe yeah. too. So, if you had to say what the who the audience would be for this film, from what I'm giving you, what would you say? Yeah, I would say moms. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cage Club moms. <laughs> the Cage Club moms. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so an- another film that was a big. That, that got a big push on Netflix around the same time was The Luckiest Girl Alive. My name is Ani Finelli. Soon I'll be an editor at the New York Times Magazine. Your voice is simply fearless. And in six weeks I'm getting married in a lavish but tasteful ceremony. Luke comes for money. Let's go, babe. But I have something no trust fund can buy. The Edge. Love my work hate babies. I'm this close to the life no one thought I deserved. This is Ani. Nice to meet you. Mr. Larson, it's me. Tiffany. Tiffany? I'm working on a documentary about the incident at your high school. There are still so many questions that you've never answered. People want to know, were you a hero or an accomplice? Imagine what it's going to be like when they find out about what happened. So on first glance, you might not think that this is a teen film. It stars Mila Kunis. For most of the trailer, it looks like it's about her adult life. However, I would say 50% or maybe more is a flashback to her character in high school. And it's just about the repercussions of a couple incidents that happened in high school. Uh, She sort of remade herself. She is a writer for, I mean, tell me if you've heard this plot before. She is a writer for like kind of like a woman's magazine, a glamour magazine, who wants to really write more hard-hitting stories. Her boss gets a job as the editor of the New York Times magazine, and she, she wants to bring her aboard. But her past starts to haunt her. Um, it's a very... Ooh, this one, this one, I have... To, I, this is another one that I wanted people to watch so that I could have conversations about. Similar to where the Crawdads sing. Because the flashbacks, the high school flashbacks, have some very, very incredibly trigger... What I would imagine would be triggering yeah. scenes to people. And that's the only thing I've heard about this movie is it actually came up at the last time I saw my friend Megan who does my nails and she knows the work that I'm in and, you know, we have things in common, etc. And she basically started my appointment and said, I don't know why Mila Kunis does this <laughs> and sort of put it on the actress. But that's, yeah, so that's the only thing I've heard about it is that it it, it is one of the examples where there was a while where it seemed like Netflix was doing a great job at kind of um, flagging 
sensitive material. And then that kind of seems to maybe have gone out of style or because it's hidden in flashbacks, it wasn't, at least in, in her watching of it, had she been prepared for what was to come, it would have been a different viewing. I certainly wasn't prepared, to be honest with you. And to be clear, this wasn't necessarily triggering to me, though it was still upsetting upsetting and Certainly. jarring to watch. And it was definitely used in that way as a plot device. I, again, feel like a couple of years ago, we might not have done a film like this as a, as a society, but now we're doing it for better or worse. But again, what we're doing here on the 2022 teen film review is sort of magazine style highlighting these films and seeing if you out there might want to watch it so i just feel obligated to talk about these things and just to to get specific so you know she's about to get married to somebody you know a wealthy person and there's like a lot of like a voiceover of she sort of has put herself in this like prime position in society Mm -hmm. she sort of grew up wrong side of the tracks but she she as a teen gets a scholarship to a very prestigious school her mother in the flashbacks is played by the wonderful connie Britton, who is Love it. really pushing her to get into these schools and really pushing her to for lack of a better way of saying it uh exceed her class limitations mm-hmm. so she sort of doesn't fit in at this school but again this is in the trailer so it's not so much of a spoiler she is a along with her classmates, a victim of a school shooting, which is very much graphically depicted in the movie, in the flashbacks. We get there later. Mm -hmm. But the kind of intrigue, if you want to call it that, around it is, was she an accomplice? Or was she a victim? Because it was her friends, essentially, who did the school shooting. And, perpetrated yes it. yes yeah. and they spared her life so one of the people who becomes a spokesperson against gun violence in the modern times in the film is sort of an ex of hers who again again trigger warning uh who had raped her in high school oh my god yeah so there's just layers and layers and layers and here the rape is depicted in the film why triggering there i could imagine so part of the subplot is she she's a writer so she finally decides to tell her story there's a documentarian who's making a story about the school shooting and this dude has sort of thrown her under the bus a bit but he's like a national hero because he speaks in front of congress and he's like don't use guns you know i was a victim of school shooting but he's you know a bad dude you know not to spoil it but like she decides again to tell her own story and to kind of out this guy, which becomes unpopular in those circles, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, because he has done so much for the so-called cause, which is a cause they all agree with, that I think a lot of people agree with, but he's got a past, right? You don't want to discredit this guy. Like, there's all those right. social pressers in the modern times, but again, in the back, a lot of the intrigue, unfortunately, revolves around these very triggering and, and terrible, terrible moments. Was it a movie that right. kept me glued to the television? Absolutely it was. But it was also <laughs> one that was incredibly jarring. It was similar to where the Crawdads sing in, in that sense. It definitely felt like maybe a more aggressive Oprah's Book Club. 
but it definitely felt like anyone who I knew know watched this movie, I was like, what did you think? Like, what was your yeah. reaction to it? So I don't know if that's what Netflix is going for with both these projects, sort of like reaction porn, like sort of they want the sure. social media dialogue and the in-person dialogue to be about these movies and they don't care how they get to it. Again, this is based on a book and these are depictions from the book. So mm. maybe if we ever do something like this in long form, we can debate it further and discuss further. But again, I want to bring it to everyone's attention. This this is not a movie for everyone. Um, I've seen a couple school shooting movies. This is one of them that depicts it. Right. I mean, it's never obviously depicted in the light tone, but it's pretty heavy here. So did I give the scores? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's let's do the scores and then and then we can move on to my school shooting. <laughs> oh, fun! So the director is Mike Barker. wasn't too familiar with him. This is another one, not as big as the Crawdad uh, spread, but pretty big of a spread. Forty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics, but seventy two percent by the audience, and three point one on Letterboxd. I think it was a good movie. Sure, my reactions are not to say don't tell stories about you know, uh, survivors of sexual assault because there would be no stories to tell because gender-based violence is so prevalent. But I think there are ways to do it and certainly you can discuss it and make great points about it without showing it, which can be a huge deterrent for people in, in their ability to see the movie in what I would consider to be like safely. So it's not that I'm saying don't, Put these topics in movies it but i do bristle when you talk about it in that it was graphic and a surprise and like kind of all the things put together just seem like oh no that's not how to do that yeah from my perspective yeah i mean it's something where you are much more qualified to discuss and assess it than i am it felt a little wrong watching it for my entertainment not that i was entertained by what was happening on screen yeah no i totally know what you mean yeah but like why am i in the room for this yeah yeah but maybe i've seen people who make the point that well i someone like me should be watching that because it is real and that does happen so that you can understand yeah i i see those points and again i think uh i mean it's inevitable i'm gonna talk about sometimes or never really sometimes always because i do every time Um, And I was just about to with my next film as well. But I think that's a great example of the way that they implied violence. They implied sexual violence. And as a viewer, at least I was deeply affected by how they told that story without having to show, without having to depict interpersonal violence between a child and an adult or between two teens or whatever, you know, so that I think that's a great example of a way to tell a difficult story in a way that doesn't objectify the humans involved. Yeah. Well said. I'm with you. I do prefer the subtle method better, but (laughs) Hey, I mean, I believe that this one was a hit for Netflix. So who, yeah. who the hell okay. knows? Uh, but Aislinn, I do want you to talk about this next film. Um, also, as you said, school shooting related, The Fallout. Yeah, The Fallout. Don't sit home, no good boy. 
you have like the craziest nightmares last night? You have to be able to sleep to have nightmares. Tell me about your brother. He was uh, always making me laugh. What are you feeling right now? I feel mad. You went through something no one should ever have to go through. Can you stay just till I fall asleep? It's hard. You're right. Life's confusing! I can't feel anything! What are you thinking about? I can't say it. Let's say you die tomorrow. And what if you die sad? Because you regret not saying what you want to say. So this was on HBO Max, written and directed by Megan Park. Oh, cool. And I believe it's her first feature. Is that correct? Wow. Well, I actually, did. I'm not familiar with her. I'll look it up while, while you talk, okay. but that's a, what an accomplishment. I believe was. I saw it was her first feature. So um, speaking of, gosh, nuance and being affected by something. I have not been affected by a film like I was, never, rarely, sometimes, always, until this movie. Wow. This movie wrecked me. <laughs> Um, it is about the fallout, the aftermath of, of a school shooting. And you, you know that from the trailer. You know that from the two sentences that are uh, um, there at HBO Max. And I will say that that part, you start the story the day that it happens. And so you see probably two or three scenes of the main character, Veda, played by the so hot right now, Jenny Ortega or Jenna Ortega. You see her prior and then a set of circumstances occur so that she's in the bathroom and sees another student played by Maddie Ziegler <laughs> mentioned in another episode for uh, for a, an ill-fated film. But um, so this is a human known for dance moms and then kind of connected with Sia and did a bunch of Sia music videos. Maddie Ziegler is a dancer, but has burst into acting. And very clearly, like, these are two young women that do not hang out. And I think right away, our main character is, like, texting her friend, like, oh, my God, guess who's in the bathroom doing their makeup, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then right then is when the violence happens. And so it ties those two and then another student um, together. And I think, what am I saying? I mean, I am an ugly crier. Um, however, I did not experience that in this. This was one of those where you just sit there and then you just realize that you are just weeping. Wow. Like just, just weeping the whole time. You know, so certainly the fallout, right? The emotional fallout is what we're talking about. And there's a numbness to, you know, her, um, the way that she's impacted by this and something that I I really I ha loved and I have not seen before in you know kind of films of this nature but um I thought it was so interesting though the way that they show you kind of how some of the other students in Veda's network of friends are impacted right so the the Maddie Ziegler the young woman she was in the bathroom with can't leave her home you know feels um, panicked if she leaves her home. But then another friend who we don't know where he was when it happens gets very political about it. And so then there's tension between Veda and this 
friend because their reactions are so different, Mm. but all valid, right? I mean, it's not, it's not wrong that she is struggling and fumbling, right? I mean, of course. And then cried a lot in the first part. And then I kind of got myself together. And then um, there's some be- a couple of beautiful moments between Veda and her younger sister uh, in this movie that it just started all over again and just reminded me of, I don't know, I don't know how universal this experience is, but like the like sleepover with your sibling, you know what I mean? Like you're with your siblings a lot most of the time. But then there are kind of magical moments when like maybe you are somewhere camping in a tent or you're in a fort or something. And there's kind of a whole new level of like fun and secret and connectedness. Mm. Um, And I thought that they portrayed that so beautifully. I thought the way that you see Veda's parents try to deal with all this was beautiful. Yeah, it just, I don't, I don't know how to talk about it without getting very emotional. It was... I found this film tremendous and and so effective. And if you don't want to see a movie about the emotional fallout after a um, high school shooting, then steer clear. But um, if you're up for it, I think it's really well done. And I think one of the great tragedies is that it is one of a number of movies in the way there are one in a number of of shootings. And I, that's the severity, but then the temporary nature of the spotlight is also something that the film is able to discuss without, like, jamming it down your throat. I feel like I'm not giving it, doing it justice. Um, So it's not just me. Uh, the critics, this got a 93 um percent around tomatoes and then 84 by audience so 93 by critics 84 by audience i get it you know it's not necessarily enjoyable i do think the performances are amazing i mean jenna ortega again she's in other teen films that we've talked about um the the wednesday adams thing is big right now or has been um also the scream franchise i mean she's one of the up and coming and the stars of the ongoing scream franchise i get it i i have not seen any of her in any of that but just based on this performance i get it she is outstanding and plays so many um really subtle shades there's also a very funny uh scene in which she is uh has used marijuana for the first time and reacts differently than the other character and so there there are moments of of humor in it I will say a friend of mine said oh Maddie Ziegler is so bad in that and I don't think she was terrible I think she was fine I think within the character she did a great job Julie Bowen from Modern Family plays the mom um and I think she does a great job the only casting I had trouble with was um Shailene Woodley has like a cameo as the therapist that they send her to. Oh, interesting. And for whatever for for whatever reason that just stuck out to me as not quite right, but I don't know, maybe it's because I I I think, you know, Shailene Woodley is super talented, so maybe it just she was the high school it girl not that long ago, and so maybe for me it it just wasn't I don't know, it it just didn't 
that that didn't work. But it's, I don't think it's her fault. I think that's a fault of me as the audience. It seems like an odd movie to have a cameo. So I don't, I don't know if cameo is the right word, but a very small role. The only thing I'll say to that is um, when I just briefly did Megan Park research, she's actually yeah. more known for her acting. You're right. This is her feature film directing debut. She was an actor in The Secret Life of the American Teenager, also starring... Shailene Woodley. There we go. So they're, okay. they're probably friends, and she was probably like, hey, be in my movie. And that is a great name to get in it, right? I mean, I feel like Shailene Woodley is a behind-the-scenes person. I wouldn't be surprised if she produced. So it, I shouldn't I shouldn't be so critical. Maybe it just struck me because of my demographic, but um, I have gone on too long now. This, this is a really, really good movie, and it, to me, is similar in a lot of ways to never... Really, sometimes, always, in that it is very small and very intimate and very quiet, but unfortunately tells such a common, if not somewhat universal story. But it does seem like one of those movies that, you know, is sort of the reason that we started High School Slumber Party AP. Um, So I think we definitely should cover it. I haven't seen it, so definitely want to see it. So sorry to make you run through that again if you want to watch it again when we when we talk about it in long form <laughs> yeah absolutely could be and well because here's here's my problem brian is that the next movie i'm about to talk about i definitely want us to talk about in long form so i'm just going to give the smallest of tidbits but i want to talk about that for completely different reasons than this one so the next movie i watched is um from amazon prime it's anything's possible Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to paint a portrait. Pick a partner. That's so good. Can I see yours? That is great. (laughs) How do you know when you have a crash? I have a theory. First Insta store is the person you're thirstiest for. Mine is Call. Call Zuwabi. I have a huge crush. What's her name? Kelsa. Uh, pull your hair out, scream it out the window for the whole world to hear kind of deal. Wow, no, I'm, I'm stupid. I hate when people say I'm brave. You're transitioning so young. I just want to tell you how brave you are. It's not that brave if you're just being who you are. These are for, for you. If you don't like me, just tell me. I still want to be your friend. I didn't say that. We could live our own life or spend the rest of our life wondering what if. So this, as and I, I'm going to just sort of read the summary because I think it's, I think it's right. A delightfully modern Gen Z coming of age story that follows Kelsa, a confident high school girl who is trans as she navigates through her senior year. Very true. It is on the one hand like the most well-used mold for a teen movie, right? It's a rom-com about students in their senior year navigating this transitional period before kind of leaping out on their own. Completely universal. It happens to include some complex identities that we don't see that often or that we don't see that often yet 
And so part of what I, I love about it is it's such a uh, foundational, like teen rom-com with 2022 sensibilities. And I think that's great. I, you know, 100% when when the, the main characters that are going to embark on the romance have those moments where the, you know, the camera follows them sort of look at each other in a, right, in that lingering way that there's some interest there, like, I could feel that. Mm. When there was an amazing, like, music punch when they're driving to go on their first date. Like, I felt the adrenaline of that. It it gave me everything that, you know, um, she's all that when she comes down the stairs after the makeover gives you. You know what I mean? Like, it's so, it was so... I want to say regular, <laughs> but so important because it was, it was just that foundational and that universal with characters that we wouldn't typically see in those ways. And, and it's not in a fairy tale land, right? They, the issues of one of the characters being trans is something that is discussed, right? This character is public and open about that there are other people in the school and in the families of the folks that will bring that up and have issues with it as I think is is likely you know what happens in for folks with that experience in high school I really liked it I want to talk about it more long form the young people in it I I don't recognize but there is the Kelsa's mother is played by the incomparable um, Renee Elise Goldberry, who uh, was in the original cast of Hamilton. Nice, yeah, of course. And I guess to put that together, that this was directed by Billy Porter, so a you know a Broadway as well as TV and film actor. Um, Rotten Tomatoes critic score is eighty five, audience score is fifty seven. Okay, fine. Y'all are wrong. Uh, but the letterbox score is 3.6. So I feel like we got it back there. And maybe it is too regular for for people. Maybe people were disappointed that way. But I, I don't know. I I was delighted by the premise. And um, I would love to talk about it more with you. Definitely. I haven't seen it. But my take on the audience score is probably... Look, this is it's an aggregate. It's a lot of people. And... I still think that there, as probably the movie depicts, as you're saying, there is still a large segment of the population who might not be as understanding. Sure, there could absolutely be some stigma and and hesitance that way. I do want to say real quick, just full disclosure for you and our audience. I did not watch the end because I was so convinced that we were needed to cover it long form that I was like, I'm going to wait and not know what happens in the third act. So maybe something would change my whole perspective on it. But from the first two thirds, I'm I'm with the 3.6 letterbox people. I love that strategy. Unfortunately, Aislinn, we're going to move to a tale that I don't know. I mean, I, I want to say is like a conventional rom-com in a similar way, but... I'll just talk about it. It's called First Love. Uh, This is for Mr. Routon. Mr. Routon didn't actually want to see you. But the note. I know, I wrote the note. You dating anymore? I've never even had a real boyfriend. 
Sure, you've had some romances? No. I like him. Mom? I'm gonna try for a running scholarship. UCLA. That's a really great idea. That's a really good idea. I have a good feeling about those two. I think it's good at your age. Good to date. You don't have to tie yourself down to just one person. Does this change anything? Do you think you'll see Jim this summer? Why wouldn't I? This whole new life is about to start for you. I just, I don't want you to miss out. I got into school, New York. You can call and plan trips. If you want to. Just wanted to see where things stand. I don't know. We're done. You don't have to say it like that. We're 18, we're both off to college. What did you expect, marriage? Hey, I got a question for you. How'd you get with that? So this was a film on Hulu directed by A.J. Edwards. I, I, and I texted you this uh, yesterday, but for the audience out there, imagine a tale as old as time, boy meets girl, <laughs> a, a teen love story set in the backdrop of the 2008 financial crisis. I don't understand. Who asked for this? So to be fair... Uh, I think the acting is is pretty good. So the two leads, the two teenage leads, are played by, I believe his name is Hero Finds Tiffin. Have you are you familiar with this actor? I'm not, but what a name! He is in the After series, After We Fall, After Ever Happy, After We Collide. Uh, those films are just the film After. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with them. And then the. His co-star is played by Sydney Park, who's been in a couple of other things uh, that I've seen. She was in some movies that I uh, that we covered for our 2021 teen film review. I think that they're very good, and they make like actually like a good convincing couple. Yeah, their story was was very traditionalist. Okay, in a sense, like you know, boy meets girl at school, they start dating, they're going off to college. You know, they don't know whether they should continue, you know, kind of spoiler, but she ends up breaking up with him and they go off their separate ways. Again, there's a lot of romance there. I'm only like briefing it like that because, again, we've seen this story a lot and I think they're great and I think they make a great couple, but it's interspliced with their parents played by diane kruger and, and then like the husband is played by jeffrey donovan from that show burn notice um if we just got the teen romance and a little bit of this 2008 financial crisis mm-hmm. i would have been fine i'm not gonna say it was would have been a memorable film it would have been like a film that i would recommend we cover here on ap but it would have just been like oh a teenage love story sure but i would say it was 50 50 the parents Mm. And the father loses his job in the financial crisis and like how it affects their marriage. And I know that might sound a little interesting, but like when these two things are together, it was like, what am I watching? It's like, you know, he didn't want to take the father didn't want to take a minimum wage job because he thought he was better than that. The mother has to sort of step it up and they have to downsize and continue, continue downsizing. And yeah, I know that actually happened. And I know that was a real thing for families. But when they would cut back to just like you know, romance and all this and all that. And then just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Sort of husband and wife banter. Yeah. Huh. But I tell you what, um, it was a beautiful looking movie. Um, AJ Edwards, I I believe works a lot with Terrence Malick. 
on the technical end. So it definitely had like a lot of that feel. Like the lighting was amazing. <laughs> like it, it had this sort of like again, if they if it was almost like a Nicholas Sparks film with that kind of just pure romantic thing and it looked like this. Sure. I think it would have done a little bit better, but I don't know. This one just didn't land for me. If you just, if you like romance, watch that part of the movie. If you like things about the financial crisis, watch that part of the movie. I don't know. Uh, 40% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 37% by the audience, 1.8 on Letterboxd. Not great. That's tougher. Uh, <laughs> Especially after like the list of heavy hitters we've just talked about. That's a that's a want want for sure. Yeah, you might want to skip this one. And again, AJ Edwards, I think your films are beautiful. Keep making movies. There you go. Um, Perfect. <laughs> the next one we're gonna cover is an interesting one. It's called The In Between. This work is incredible. Well, that's my favorite part about taking photos. You wander and find places like this. It makes me a little delirious. I like what your eyes are doing to me right now. Mm. <laughs> That's really cheesy. No, it was um, a little cheesy. Um, maybe I'll see you here again sometime. You said he was cute. Emojis are cute. That guy is melting my sunglasses, Tess. I think you could sell this stuff, but there is something that's missing from, like, all of your photos. You. <laughs> I love you, Tessa. Welcome back to the world of the living. Maybe you don't like talking too much about yourself. I can't believe it's I just wish I could see him one more time, even for a minute. He loved him, and he knew that. I don't understand. What is happening? When the separation is dramatic, there's unfinished business. He's in the in-between. He's reaching out to you. Now... We've mentioned the name Paramount Plus a lot on our teen film review here. Uh, they really, really pushed hard this year. I think this was, again, their first like big year since like the CBS All Access merger with all their other Viacom properties. Uh, this one starred and was actually produced by uh, none other than the Kissing Booth's Joey King. Oh, my. Okay, you say produced and starred? Yes. Okay. It was directed by someone named Ari Posen. Um, wasn't too familiar with him. But the in-between, similar to the last movie we talked about, mm-hmm. um, there's like a really core romance there, and it's really good. So as I mentioned, Joey King plays uh, the lead, but her opposite, if you will, like the romance is between Kyle Allen, who we saw in the, the map of Tiny Perfect Things. Yes! He's They're great. They're both still high schoolers, apparently. <laughs> but he's great. Honestly, she's great. And they really do have chemistry. Like, I would, you know, watch this couple be a couple. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all great. But it sort of goes into this sci-fi element where she wakes up in the hospital. Um, they have both been involved in some kind of car accident. And he has passed away. Oh, wow. We see their meet cute 
before that, but again, this is no this is no spoiler because it is in the trailer. And she's sort of dealing with that. It's almost like a ghost, the film Ghost for Teens. Okay. Um, she's sort of trying to communicate with him. But honestly, some of the best parts are really, like, again, they're relationship parts. It's one of those sort of last summer movies. Uh, they meet towards the middle to end of school year. They go to different high schools, but around the same area of North Carolina. She's a photographer. It's a beautiful movie in that respect. We get a lot of, like, sort of true photography shots, um, beach shots, lighthouse shots. Yeah. I enjoyed it, I think, more than the critics. Uh, <laughs> it does get a little sci-fi-y and, and, and ghosty, especially towards the end as she tries to go to that in-between spirit world to communicate with him. I didn't necessarily need that. This couple slaps. I hope they are in other movies together as adults. I think they are great together. Nice. I th- like they just seem like they fit. They complement each other. So if you're into sort of imagine like again, I, we keep bringing them up, but like a Nicholas Sparks esque thing with a little bit more of a sci fi element. Sure. She sort of seeks a medium at some point. Other a little otherworldly. Now, did you yeah. have you covered um, if I stay? On High School Slumber Party? If I stay. I don't think so. It's not Joey King, but it's someone similarly blonde. Oh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah, I've I've seen... I'm familiar with this movie. I have not seen it. Okay. It just... As you're talking about this, I have not seen it either, but it reminds me of the trailer for that. So maybe there is this teen connection to the other world that is more common than we think. Yeah, perhaps. What I found kind of interesting when I read about it is that, so Joey King obviously did all those very successful, but I didn't enjoy them, Kissing Booth movies for Netflix. It seemed to also be produced by Netflix, but on Paramount Plus, mm. which was weird. Yeah. Uh, internationally, it was distributed by Netflix. So I see. there's still that connection there. Uh, so 67% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but 96% by the audience i'm not saying that this is a movie that was seen by like a kissing booth amount of people but it was certainly a crowd pleaser and i think it comes from the two leads if you're interested in seeing how these two uh actors interact on screen as sort of like a romantic couple then you will like this movie if you like the sort of sci-fi elements you will like this movie but 2.5 on letterboxd tells me that this isn't your classic film nerd movie as you can probably tell (laughs) Another film that was on Paramount Plus that they were really pushing hard um, was Snow Day. If we take down Snowplow Man, we get a second Snow Day. Snow to hole! you and me are gonna make it snow. We're gonna make it fall down to the floor. Make it snow, bro, make it snow, bro. I'm just getting word. Due to unprecedented snowstorm, all schools will be closed. Making today a snow day. A snow day. Here we go. I'm gonna spend today trying to get the girl as way out of Malik and as a boyfriend. First step is make an impression. <gasps> you definitely made an impression. Smile. We take down Snow Man, we get a second snow day. He's a maniac. <laughs> oh my god! Go, go, go! Activate Mega Cannon! Snow in the hole! <laughs> nice try, 
Hey, kiddies, you ain't getting no second snow day. Don't you guys realize that today is no ordinary day? Anything can happen on a snow day. Taking down, sis. Get the girl, bro. You got a sling for us? Right here. It's my grandma's, okay? Just an ugly mug who's in love with a toy bird. She has a name. Are you all right? Do I look all right? I don't appreciate that tone. My grandma needs this wig back by four. She's not too happy that I stole her bra either. Now, Snow Day is a remake of a equally Nickelodeon produced <laughs> film. And what year was that? 2000, year 2000. So, wow, that makes me feel old. So, 22 years later, they have made the remake. And I'm not really sure what to say about this film, Snow Day, Iceland. Okay. It's very firmly a kid's movie. Okay, great. So, the original Snow Day was not a musical. This is a musical. But as I've kind of learned in most film musicals, they tend to run a little bit longer because of the music. Sure. This film is an hour and 17 minutes long. Oh, wow. With music. That's great. There are White Lotus episodes longer than You've this. You've still and... got time to go out and enjoy the snow day after watching the snow so, day. So one of my favorite, like, random talking points is this idea that snow days no longer exist, at mm. least in New York. I don't know how it is in other parts of the country, but now because of covid and right. how kids adapted to distance learning everything's hybridized exactly so in the movie that part of the world is not gone that way but the parents and and the dad is played by bob odenkirk and sort of a surprise they're working remotely that day oh interesting it it is super interesting in that respect but this is again one that if i had a child or a niece or a nephew i have i don't have any of those that maybe they would enjoy it. This is definitely not a teen film for teens or adults. This is firmly for kids. Uh, the director is Michael Lembeck. It was more of a TV movie. It felt like more like if I was a kid, this was something that would have aired on Nickelodeon. And kids would have just watched it and no one would have rated it anywhere, right? Sure. But uh, uh, it didn't get critical scores on Rotten Tomatoes probably because of that reason. Audience score 68. Letterboxd score 2.1. It's so brief that I don't I won't say don't watch it, but if you're a fan of the original Snow Day film, you're probably not going to look to this for nostalgia. There's right. no connection to that film except uh, I believe, you know, there's in that film, I distinctly remember the guy uh the the lead there like digging a whale in the snow for one of the girls and that happens in this one too. That is the only connection. <laughs> You know, maybe the kids enjoyed it. I don't know. I thought the little uh, the little sister was really good. She was probably the best person in the film. We love a little oh, sister. We do. Weird thing I want to mention, <laughs> though. It's very distinctly a high school film because they, they don't say their ages, but it's sort of obvious. And if you see the characters, they're high school. But the little sister is in the same school as the older brother, who's clearly in high school. Oh, weird. Well, maybe it's like a... A junior high, high school combo. Yeah, that that's my only guess. But it feels more like, well, we want to put her in this scene. Sure. So, Or a middle school that goes through ninth grade. So you'd have like sixth grade and ninth grade. I don't know. 
I, oh. I'm not here to oh, try yeah, to solve maybe. it. <laughs> it, it. It's not worth solving Snow Day. Um, was it a fun movie? Sure. Uh, it's too childish for me, to be honest with you. The Snowplow Man. So again, both Snow Days, they're trying to stop the Snowplow Man so they can get another Snow Day right. off from school. And this Snowplow Man, who... It made me feel really old because he was a person from the show iCarly, <laughs> which is younger than my demographic, but they definitely wanted people to be like, oh, snap, right. that guy from iCarly is in the this. I'm like, wow. guy. <laughs> but he has a sort of AI robotic bird as his Weird. <laughs> uh, ass- assistant, right? Sidekick. Like, it, yeah, sidekick. It definitely is not a film based in reality. See, and I thought the problem you were going to point out or something you were going to point out was your professional conflict with this as someone in the dog walking industry that like, if they keep the snowplow man from doing his job, it's much harder to walk dogs. Well, yes and no. People (laughs) still need their dogs walked anyway. (laughs) No, I agree. But I'm thinking as a dog person, I would be on the other side of it than the kids. Like, please plow my street so that I can walk my dog. You know what I'm trying I to think, say? Well, I think most adults would be. Uh, it's it's weird. Uh, just I, I'm, We're spending way too much we're time on Snow Day, but I have to say this. <laughs> so Bob Odenkirk, and I'm, I'm not familiar who is who played the wife, and if you are out there, I apologize. There's like a, a youngest kid. So there's the high schooler, the middle schooler, mm-hmm. and just like a a young boy who stays at home and he handcuffs his parents together and then makes them do like stuff for him. And they're way too nice of parents. They're like, Hey buddy, you can't handcuff us. We have work to do. All right. right." No, I would get in so much trouble. (laughs) I think most kids would. And Mm -hmm. and like, you know, they make him like 30 pancakes until it's the perfect pancake. They just essentially become his like slaves at home. But again, definitely a kid movie because that's like a fantasy. Like, I'm I'm making my parents do things. Yeah. So (laughs) enough of Snow Day. Okay. Uh, So the last time we spoke, we talked about this subgenre or a slice of a genre of the like spooky comedy. And that's definitely what you would get in Hulu's Darby and the Dead. I'm Darby Harper. Just watch me. Are you sitting down for this? I see dead people. I help them pass on to the next realm. You'd think that'd be my life's biggest burden, but it is a distant second to why I'm forced to spend my days. Three, two, one, go. High school. That's Capri Donahue. Head cheerleader. Isn't cheer just for shallow, hot girls? I'm so glad you asked. And the answer is, that's offensive. Capri knows I'm the one person she can't get to like her. Darby, I forgot you went here. Capri, give me my clothes. Why would I take her clothes? I'm not planning on attending a funeral. She can be a little extra sometimes. Extra psychotic. I'm reporting live. Frederick Douglass High School, where yesterday students witnessed the shocking death of head cheerleader Capri Donahue. Wake up! Wake up, bitch. Oh, God damn it. You can't see me. What are you doing here? My sweet 17 is coming up in a month. All I want is this party. Help me. Then I'll move on. In what world do you think I can throw your dream party? In a world where I make you popular enough to do it. This movie is charming. How about that? 
It's a charming movie. Um, we meet Darby at the beginning who suffered a near-death experience as a child. And as a result, uh, as she says in a joking parody way, I see dead people. Um, so you know that from the beginning. But because of her near-death experience, spirits find her. Oh. And so she has this like after-school job of helping spirits finish their business and resolve their issues so they can move all the way on. Oh, interesting. That's kind of cool. I like that premise. Yeah. They just find her. But what's tough is that like, this is a very isolating thing. No one knows this. So it's, this is like her after school job and she has things up in her room. That's like Friday appointments, Fridays only (laughs) because it could just take up your whole life. But this existence where you're aware of the spirit world and dead people and all this kind of stuff um has made her kind of isolate from the rest of high school so she's an outcast she's a misfit and uh darby is played by um ryle downs uh who i was familiar to me but i couldn't quite place and then um like in the hulu's movie the crush we have ali cravalo who was the voice of Moana again in a totally different role. So Moana's role, if you will, um, is sort of Darby's nemesis, uber popular girl in a very like clueless style or mean girl style kind of like has her posse of other hot girls. And unfortunately, very early on in the film, she has a tragic electrical accident with a hair straightener. Ooh. Um, but then that puts her, she, so she dies, but that puts her in Darby's orbit because she has things that need to happen before she can move on. And they are trivial things like have the perfect sweet 16. So in order for Darby to get rid of this really irritating nemesis, she has to infiltrate the cheerleaders and the hot girls and all that and make this party happen despite Capri's death. Capri is the name of the character of the popular girl. Anyway, it's it's a little bit of a romp that way. Um, it also has uh, Chosen Jacobs from Sneakerella, but he plays a great role in it. Um, and then you have a couple of fun cameos, including Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Who, um, yeah, who is a spirit who's like a friend of hers. They play chess at lunchtime out in the bleachers because he wants to wait until his wife passes before he moves on. So he is like purposefully stayed uh... in this in between to use a word from earlier in the episode. So it's, it is a spooky comedy. It is, it's, it's fun. I feel like it, it, um, Hulu is the right place for it. Right. I mean, it's, it's not profound, but it's enjoyable at least, uh, from my perspective, Rotten Tomatoes critics fifty four percent, which I think I think the I don't know I think the performances were better than that. Um, by the audience seventy four percent that makes more sense to me. And then Letterbox two point nine. Um, this is where I had a oh gosh I'm so old moment because as Darby is getting a ride to high school from her dad, I was like oh that is a very attractive gentleman playing the dad, and it was Derek Luke. Oh my goodness. Like hot guy of the aughts. Um, so I was like, <laughs> oh man, 
<laughs> I'm so old. Um, but he did a great job as the dad. And, um, you know, it certainly it has a lot of the kind of check boxes we have on High School Slumber Party. You know, this fits in in a lot of those places and was just fun, silly fun. I sort of had an, oh, well, first of all, I love that premise. I think that's such a creative and yeah. fun premise. Um, I sort of have an idea for what to do with these movies in, uh, in re- reference to long form and AP, but, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that later. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a cool one. Yeah, it was fun. I'm glad. I'm glad I branched out into the spooky um, horror, spooky realm for that. I know. <laughs> um, and speaking of horror, uh, coming back into the very real world, the last, the last movie I have to talk about today is um, on HBO Max, and it's called My So Called High School Rank. Students in high school, there's this feeling of suffocation of everyone trying to tell you, you have to be the absolute best. Students truly believe that their class rank and where they go to college is going to determine everything. 4.0 isn't enough anymore, which is funny because that used to be perfect, but now it's all about being better than perfect. What the hell, what the hell is going on here? the musical ranked we wanted to amplify everything our students were saying to us there's a huge pressure to keep up gpa while balancing drama and being on a sports team and the national honor society at a school like granite bay everyone knows where everyone is rank wise technology has made it so prevalent kids are oftentimes finding themselves very miserable when does this feeling go Most parents don't know. I think this show started conversations. Uh, and this is a documentary about a musical. Uh, it has two uh, female directors, Ricky Stern and Anne Sunberg. And it's a bummer in that they were making a movie about this musical that, um, oh gosh, and I'm not, I'm not going to have the names right here but that was real right that was written to uh to to talk about the issue of students ranking and an achievement and the ivy leagues and all that kind of stuff right That, that there are schools where there's an app with your updated ranking on it and students are obsessed with this oh so there's musical about it and once once it was performed then other schools started wanting it and so it it had this like really organic growth like it really resonated with the students of 2019 and so they were making this movie about it but then the pandemic hits and so then the documentary has to become about the pandemic interesting and social isolation and this and that and then the movie becomes about people doing the musical anyway over zoom so it follows the reality of things and and I get that they had to tell the story that evolved and and I'm glad they did but in terms of for a movie it makes a very kind of three chapter thing where they touch on some really relevant and important issues around kind of the achievement and the elitism and you know all the the scandals you know, of, of uh, rich and powerful people getting their kids in places, 
to then social isolation and then, you know, teen suicide, which could be its own thing, but then to we're doing the musical on Zoom. So I don't know. It is more of an HBO Max documentary to me than a movie. Mm. You know, like like HBO has a category of documentaries. And a lot of them just live there and nowhere else. And this feels more like that to me than like a movie. Gotcha. That being said, I love a high school musical and I and it is cool that you get to see it. You know, it started in one community very specifically. But then when other communities pick it up, then you're taken to a different. So, for instance, like, you know, it starts in sort of more um, affluent California town. But then a high school in West Virginia wants to do it. And so then you're kind of looking at kids with completely different realities, but everything is still as dire and as heightened, if that makes sense. So I don't know if you were interested in how the teens today are interacting with that transition from high school to college. This might be for you. If you're fascinated by how the arts pivoted during COVID, maybe this is for you. If you're tired of hearing about COVID and Zoom stuff, then... (laughs) You know, I would let it go, but um, I would be interested to see just the musical itself because for me and in my high school, the the rank itself was not this sort of um, ongoing anxiety. There were other things. I think GPA was more, but you know, I, I don't know. I can't tell you my class rank off the top of my head, but I can tell you like my ACT scores, you know what I mean? Like it, it just wasn't the salient thing for me at my school, but apparently it is right now for a lot of people. If it was a big thing at my school, it wasn't with me and my friends, you know, I, I don't know. I think you really encapsulated what this is when you mentioned, like it does feel like it's in that land of HBO documentaries, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. We cover documentaries here, not just on high school, yeah, Party, but on AP but um, that's probably why, at least when I looked it up, it had no scores anywhere in terms of not even a letterboxed. It did remind me of a documentary that I watched several times and enjoyed. And that was the Katy Perry documentary because it was similar in that they started recording to show this. It was like, I think the first world tour she had done and to document this, you know, almost I think it was like a 300 day tour or something like almost an entire year all over the world, costume changes, backup dancers, all this stuff. But then what they ended up documenting was the complete explosion of her marriage to Russell Brand. And so it's not, you know, the movie wasn't supposed to be about that, but it had to be about that because that's why she could barely get on stage in Brazil or whatever else. So it reminded me a little bit of that of like, this is the movie we're making. And then like, no, we're making this movie now. Yeah. Um, So I'm, you know, I, I applaud the pivot and it just makes it a harder kind of road to follow. Yeah. The documentary pivot. That's an interesting, like I went on like a brain journey of other ones. I think of like, there's that, (laughs) I don't remember the name, but there's that famous uh, 9-11 one where there was just like a, Oh, it's a first day in a life of a firefighter. And then that, I forgot the documentarian's name, but it ends up being like one of the only like footages of the first plane hitting uh, the tower. Oh, wow. And then the documentary obviously had to pivot to, holy shit, it's 
you know, 9-11 and all that. So, right. you know, it is true documentarian style where you just kind of have to roll with the punches there. Um, and again, this is not High School Film Party related. Maybe it is. It feels like it definitely feels AP related, but that's like the documentaries I kind of grew up with, sort of like the HBO mm. style. And now, yeah. for better or worse, now a lot of them are, especially like Netflix ones and stuff, are more uh, narrative in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I just watched the one about like that Pepsi person who wanted the jet or whatever. Oh, yeah. They feel more, they definitely don't feel like fly on the wall, let's follow this story wherever right. it goes. They totally. Definitely... Or like the McMillions. Which I enjoyed very much, but that there were so many characters in that. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily you know, it, like I'm not saying one style is better than the other. Straight about the fraud. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Full disclosure: Island and I took a little bit of a break between the most of this episode and the last three films here. We did. Ended up being a longer break than we thought because I forgot. <laughs> to be honest with you. Life- Life happened. I was moving. I was starting a new job. We are in different time zones. We're technically in closer time zone proximity than we used to be, but I think it's still an adjustment, strangely. It is. It it definitely is. I'm always doing time math. I'm very bad at time math, especially when it comes to text messages. I just get like, oh, I need to text this person now. And then I'm like, oh, wait, remember, they might not be awake so I'll like type, <laughs> type the text message in, you know, the, the prompt or whatever, and then just yeah. try to remember it's there. And then sometimes oh, I'll forget wow. it's there. I was about to ask you if you can schedule send a text. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I don't go that far, but um, maybe I'll look into it. Regardless, Island, thanks for taking the time again. And we are here on AP to discuss... Uh, three more movies for for today's 2022 teen film review, and then a little bit of a little bit of Oscar talk and some other news. So definitely stay tuned for that. So this is a weird one to begin with, but it is called Thirteen the Musical. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. It's God. He wants his language back. That's me, Evan Goldman. I'm about to turn 13 and have my bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah is the event that defines you. The Jewish Super Bowl. (laughs) Everything was going so well until my parents broke up. Now I have to have my bar mitzvah in Indiana. I don't even know anyone there. You haven't been here since you were five. But if it took a divorce to get you to come back, maybe it's a good thing. Mom. Well, I look at the bright side. What is there to do around here? Not much. If my party is awful, I'll never live it down. So we'll find the best DJ at the best barroom at the best hotel. Which is the best Western. What? Twelve years old, everything that used to be good as gold starts to crumble and crack. Oh, you're the new kid. That's who you want to hang out with? (laughs) That's cool. I want them to come to my party. Is that what you want? To be cool? I saw this one on the list, Brian, and I almost wrote myself down for it because it is a musical and I don't know, but I wondered if it was connected to the movie 13, Catherine Hardwick movie 13. Yeah. 
But then I was like, Aislinn, you can't take all the musicals. <laughs> I so kind of wish you I purpose. Oh, no. Okay. So tell me, Brian, what what was 13 the musical? What was that experience like for you? So, okay. Look, it wasn't terrible, but I forgot the movie that you did that dipped a little bit below high school age, but we still counted it because it was a teenager. It was another musical, right? It was. It was the the Nate of it all, or it's it's all about Nate, or... <laughs> we should get this nothing, one. Nothing but Nate. <laughs> better Nate than ever. Yes, better Nate than ever. That was it. So this was my better Nate than ever, in a sense. Okay. 13 the Musical is about a New York City boy who moves to Indiana right before his bar mitzvah. So he moves to a town that doesn't have a lot of Jewish people. He doesn't have a lot of friends, so um, it's kind of just about him sort of assimilating into this town, making new friends. It's very musical; like everything is music in this. So, and uh, honestly, so the, the music isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's necessarily a, a movie for me, but it was definitely geared more towards probably people around bar mitzvah age. The lead, Eli Golden, hadn't heard of him. You know, very Broadway kid. I'll put it that way. Deborah Messing played his mom, which was cool. Good to see her again. Uh, Josh Peck played the rabbi. And they sort of did this uh, sort of like Zoom rabbi thing throughout. Rhea Perlman's in the film as well. I don't know. Good cast. And the, and the director, too, was someone, when I looked them up, were really cool Tamara Davis, she directed Half Baked. Uh, what else? I, what else did I see that I was like, oh okay. Oh, Billy Madison. You know, some like '90s comedies that people really like. Uh, also, Crossroads with Britney Spears. I thought that was fun. And then a lot of TV. So, like, it is a. She is a very seasoned director. And again, I think she largely did a good job here. The film just was not for me. That um, the TV thing is interesting. Uh, had she done a lot of Disney TV? I'm just thinking about like how Josh Peck would have gotten, you know, into that. Um, well, she directed High School Musical the series, which I kind of didn't know existed. So shame on me. Oh, okay. But mostly not. Mostly uh, okay. adult TV, if you will. Sure. <laughs> well, and as as an adult watcher, um, you you said this maybe wasn't quite for you. Uh, how did the critics? stack up next to your perception here uh probably worse than i felt right 53 percent by the critics and rotten tomato 34 percent by the audience which is pretty low and 2.2 on letterboxd i think this deserves more of someone who's more uh a friend to musical theater sure <laughs> maybe you island or, or anyone else <laughs> right like to watch this and tell me if it's a good musical or not i was a little unsure by it it, again, it felt like I wasn't the audience for it, and I'll leave it at that. If you are someone out there listening who enjoys musical theater or musical films and is having a bar mitzvah soon, watch this film and let us know. Maybe you like it more than I will. Maybe you'll connect more than I will. One thing I have to say, and I don't know, I'll say it's a good thing because I do like diversity in films, but... It felt like a very diverse town for middle of nowhere Indiana. Okay. Uh, which again, I again, I'm not criticizing, but it certainly, right. I suppose in movies in the past, those towns would be depicted as exclusively white. This one was not. Sure. Well, and there's um, 
you know, there is a line somewhere where, you know, representation could become tokenism. Um, and I haven't seen the film, so I'm not saying that's what's happening. But that's, you know, I think it's a, it would, it's worth, you know, talking about worth someone going to have a long form conversation about this uh, movie. But uh, I'm, I guess I'm glad we each had our middle school slumber party musical <laughs> experience for 2022 and another female director, which, you know, I, I think a larger chunk of these movies um, had uh, female directors than I had anticipated. And so that part of it, you know, makes me happy that it's it exists and it's here, even if it wasn't quite for us. For sure. Uh, I can't echo those sentiments enough. This next film, Island, is one of these films that I had zero expectations for. And frankly, maybe it's my own bias, but I thought I just was not going to connect with. And then I was just drawn into this film. I love the premise. I like can't talk enough about this film. Was it perfect? No, but oh, you can tell I'm chomping at the bit here. Uh, I know I can, t- I can tell you're excited. <laughs> tell us what you watched. This film is bundles. Almost 30 assaults in a week's time have left women in the DMV area terrified. Woo! Say good Jackie sent you the same text? Yeah, just said Code Red Morgan. Any idea what she meant? She locked herself in the bathroom and she won't even let me in. We gotta fix this. I cannot let my girl go out like that. I don't even wanna hurt nobody. I just wanna chop her ponytail off or something. Jesus, Vic! Now my name has been said too. We need to get rid of that head. If she says something, they'll believe her. I'll give you seventeen hundred for it. We could be like drug dealer rich. That's a bad. That's a bad. I just don't understand why we're stopping at only one. The place that I get mine from has had my shit on back order for like a month. Now. He is over there sweating bullets like this is the end for him. I think I have a solution to his problem. What advice do you have for women while the assailant is still at large? Just be careful. Okay, so Bundles was this film on a VOD. I caught it on Amazon. By the way, if I didn't mention 13 the Musical was on Netflix. This one was a little bit harder to find. And uh, I'll just read the summary from um, Amazon and... It, it hopefully will go into the premise a little bit. High school senior Morgan Davis, with the help of her friends, is forced to confront her old elementary school bestie and current rival Maria Sanchez. After successfully seeing through the perfect plot for revenge, the four young ladies find a lucrative business venture to be made of what was supposed to be a one-time payback to put Maria in her place. This is described as a crime drama, but the premise is these four women of color, these four black women... They, as mentioned, like the main, the lead here, her her rivals like giving her crap at school, and they decide to play a prank on her. She has, uh, you know, what they deem as beautiful hair, and they basically cut her ponytail off. That's scary and assault. Yes, no, no, sure. secretly. I, by the way, I don't endorse what the movie says, no. but it, but it was intriguing. Uh, the older sister character owns a hair salon and a 
a wealthier woman comes along in and she's looking for hair extensions and they happen to have that hair and they sell it for a lot of money and they're sort of like holy shit we can start a business with this here yeah interesting okay and you know like i I believe that's again i don't know if it's slang or i just don't get extensions to be honest with you but like that's what a bundle is a bundle so so okay so the movie the movie is called uh bundles for that reason and it's sort of like as you can imagine um these teenagers uh first it starts out like oh if we just make this amount of money we can do this things get out of hand they they deal with like a larger crime element here uh because obviously there's like a spree around uh dc where they live where like oh what is happening why is everyone's hair getting cut off women are afraid at night you know what i mean but right that's fascinating. That sounds really, really interesting. I, I have to say, the third act gets really intense. I don't know if I would have gone there. I respect the artist's choice, but the ante keeps getting upped and upped and upped and up, and it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? But like I said, it, it's my own bias that I didn't think, oh, what's this movie about, whatever, and then I'm like drawn in. Um, the director, I just want to say they did an amazing job, Ryan Jordan. So shout out to them because, like I said, this is one of these gems that, was it perfect? No. But it was one of my favorite films that I've seen in this entire watch. And I'm not necessarily drawn into this genre as much. I, again, I just thought the premise was so unique. The acting was, I think, very good. And it's a shame because... No score on Rotten Tomatoes, no audience score, no letterbox score. It's very clear that this movie, in most of the critical circles at least, was largely ignored, which, again, I, you know, Iceland, I wouldn't have this reaction for no reason, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the biggest shame of it all to me. The okay. fact that nobody, you know, I guess, again, in these critical circles sure. watched this movie. That's just disappointing to me. I have two questions then. So, number one, have you then done a letterbox review of this film no because i do not have a letterbox so. oh i forgot famously okay famously you don't do that um, but i but i should be for this reason right honestly yes uh and then secondly is this something you think we should cover with a full episode because the excitement that you are bringing to this short segment you know makes me wonder if if we should cover this yeah no i i absolutely think we should again we have to go over our list but this is something where again i i was intrigued i i think it's a story that like i said on paper i might not think i have a lot of connection to but yet you watch and when and when there's a story that's intriguing that doesn't matter and i hope people throw out like oh what, what would i have to do you know how how could i relate to this story and like that's while representation is great, it's also good to, you know, just watch movies that might not be your typical representation, sure. if that makes sense, you know? Walk in somebody else's shoes. Yes. Appreciate a story for the story, not for how you see yourself in it. Yeah, I wonder, again, this is another one that, you know, we've sort of discussed off air, maybe getting some more filmmakers on directors on you know i would love to reach out to someone involved in this film and and talk to them because again my excitement is there this movie just surprised me and i was so excited by it so once again bundles uh 
my recommendation maybe for tonight, check it out and something I think we'll definitely cover on long, in long form. Awesome. So, yeah, so there's there's one more film, um, at least for this segment, for this part of our conversation. What is the third film uh, from 2022 that you wanted to chat with us about tonight? Well, speaking of uh, filmmakers and getting them more on the AP pod and, and just the direction for the rest of 2023, this film is something that, you know, we're going to go a little bit more in depth in. It's called 52577. Come on. Just tell me, what's playing here? Star Wars, right? Star Wars? Star Wars? When I was a kid, they used to show these short films before the feature called serials, and they weren't very good. In fact, they were actually kind of terrible in a wonderful sort of way because you could almost imagine the actors suddenly turning to look out at you and saying, look, we know you can tell we made these sets out of cardboard. And we know you can see the wires holding up our spaceships. But look how much fun we're having. And those stupid little films meant more to me than any big budget Hollywood extravaganza because they gave me hope. Cut. That with a little allowance. You okay? No, I'm not okay. A little ingenuity and a little stolen time. With my dad's old wind-up movie camera, I could make movies too, and I did. Boy, did I. How much do you want to be a director, Patrick? I want it more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. Hi. Are you, are you really sure about this? Do you need to be one? Then you might just make it. You really think so? If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. So 525.77 is truly a labor of love for the director Patrick Reed Johnson. Patrick Reed Johnson directed a a film called Angus. Uh, We had the star of Angus, Charlie Talbert, on High School Slumber Party way way back when. Uh, He actually went on another show, met our friend uh, Ryan Stick, recommended me on there. I went on his show, long story short. Ryan ended up interviewing Patrick Reed Johnson and mentioned this show here, High School Slumber Party. So I actually got the opportunity to interview Patrick Reed Johnson, and it was very intriguing. I need to have him back on again. We'll air that episode next. But first, 525.77. It's a pretty simple premise, and it's based on like uh, Patrick Reed Johnson's life, actually. Um, he, as a high schooler, was one of the first people not involved in the production of Star Wars to see Star Wars. Um, He was a kid from the Midwest. He was very persistent in his own filmmaking. Uh, The mother in this film is amazing based on his own mother. And she sort of, you know, makes some calls to people in LA like, hey, could you see my son? Could you see my son? Uh, One of them picks up. They happen to be sort of touring these Hollywood studios. He's sort of trying to get a job, or at least just like even a letter of recommendation, right? And he pops into, uh, I suppose, Lucasfilm or whatever, sees Star Wars, it blows his mind, it sort of changes his life. One thing about this movie that I love, too, that I again mentioned in the interview, he met a young Steven Spielberg there in L.A. 
And the guy they got to play Steven Spielberg is amazing, right? It's like you're watching a Steven Spielberg interview. And I asked Patrick in the interview, not to spoil it too much, oh my God, where'd you find this guy? And essentially he found him, he wasn't in a professional actor, he was somebody's brother. He put him in the movie. And that's how uh, Patrick E. Johnson in the past has directed a lot of his, and cast a lot of his films. That's how he found Charlie Talbert and Angus. He's had a very interesting career. We get into it a little bit. Um, he had, he worked with John Hughes. He uh, wrote the Dragonheart series, which I know was popular in the, in the 90s yeah. pre-Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool guy. Uh, this film, though, it's so interesting because I, I think it took at least 10 years to finish. 90% of it was done a decade ago. And he couldn't get the rights to the music and he couldn't get the rights to other things. So he, like legit waited until he could put it out because it was such a labor of love. Yeah. So tell us where we can watch it so that folks can watch it before the interview comes out. Smart thinking, Aislinn. Uh, it is on VOD now, so check it out there. Uh, you know, I watched it again. I just rented it on Amazon. It's getting very good critical scores. It's 100% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but tr- truthfully, it's not a big sample right now. Uh, but 89% by the audience. And Letterbox 3.1, which we know is good. I think that's, that's more good. where it is. It's very much. It's very personal. That's the best way I can put it. It's very mm. personal. It's not everybody's story, but you can tell that it's personal to him. And it, it's just like a, a tale of a cool era in time. A lot of people were comparing it to almost like a uh, The Fablemans, like a lower budget Fablemans, which just came out. Uh, I actually asked Patrick Reed Johnson about that in the interview. Tune in to hear what he said. Yeah, definitely tune in to hear what he says. We'll air the interview, and then I think we should talk about it ourselves more in long form. Absolutely. That sounds great. So there are some other movies that people have told me about from 2022. (laughs) Or we still need to figure out how we're going to include them if we do another episode or a mini episode. Maybe Austin will help, because uh, if you guys didn't tune into that Austin Wolf Southern episode, again, that was... He did a really awesome job, and there's some movies that he's found that I think he might want to talk about. So still need to game plan that. We could do a midterms, and we could in in July have a you know a couple uh, or you know kind of midway through the year. You know how sometimes you have to take uh, a placement test, like a prerequisite. So it's like maybe there's some prerequisites for 2022 or for 2023. From 2022 movies. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of nerd words to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That You know, that I think that's a great idea. So we'll game plan. But I didn't want to close this episode without talking about a couple things in the news. As we're recording today, what was it, two days ago now? Was Oscar night, Island, And we yearly have very different Oscar experiences. So <laughs> what was your Oscar night like, Island? Well, thank you so much for asking. Now that I have moved and and moved back to my hometown and now live in the same town as my uh, family of origin, I was able to enjoy Oscar night with um, three generations, my parents, my brother, and my um, brother's kiddos, uh, as well as as some um, extended family in-laws, et cetera. And um, my brother hosted, of course. Um, he made fantastic cocktails. We uh, got takeout Chinese food 
and um, he had the uh, he we used the the ballot from Vanity Fair. Ooh. And in our household group, um, we do what should win and what will win. I like that. I like that. And you get pure points for for how many of what will win you get, but then there's like a a respect factor if your should wins also win. So stats wise, I can only speak to the will wins. And um, Tobin won. No surprise there. 17 out of 23, guessed correctly. Uh, my niece, 16 out of 23. Whoa, impressive. Now, I, I will say she filled out her ballot next to her dad. I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to, you know, blow up her spot. But um, and then I was third place with 15 out of 23. Wow, and I pretty have good. not seen very many of the movies my friend i just collected it from the ether so that was great uh so delighted to be home and to uh you know this this is what i would have done growing up with my brother is we would have had our ballots and uh, watched together so it was super fun to um reconnect that way how about you love hearing that last year i watched for coda because we were so invested but yes uh i just been getting angry at the Oscars, uh, mostly in the last... Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, mostly in the last decade and such. So I sort of tuned tuned it out. And also, like, part of it is me being petty. Like, I, I should take more of a sport as your family does, you know. Uh, t- take it more for fun. And sometimes I get mad when someone wins and someone doesn't win or someone wasn't even nominated. Sure. And it feels like, why is this the measure of worth here? It's true. It's a it's a flawed game. It's a flawed system. We know that. However, I can't do that because some really good people do end up winning. Some really great moments happen. And after all, I do film podcasts. So it's sort of <laughs> irresponsible of me to do that, right? And it's also, I know generally teen films aren't nominated, Coda aside. And generally teen films don't win. Again, Coda aside. But... Part of our credo here on High School Slumber Party AP is to promote modern things. Not I don't say over nostalgia, but alongside nostalgia. So shame on me for, in other genres, also not doing that, you know? So I, I can admit that I'm a flawed human being. I mean, ooh, big deal. But took us took us on a whole ride there, Brian. <laughs> um, regardless, I, I did, obviously... You know, look up the winners. I watched acceptance speeches. I, I did the whole recap thing, if you will. Sure. And lots of actual teen film connections that I want to go over with the award winners. In, in no particular order here. Now, I have not seen The Whale, but people who have seen it, now that I know a couple people who have seen it, say that it does technically qualify as an AP film because he is a teacher and there's a connection with a teenage daughter in the movie. So uh, Brendan Fraser, of course, won for Best Actor. I did not watch his speech. Uh, any feelings on that? It was a little bit of controversial film and role, right? Right. That And that that was the only sort of piece I had there. I I have read a number of strong reactions to the film. I have not seen it. The part that I didn't realize until watching the Oscars, because the, um, I want to say uh, makeup, makeup visual effects, I'm going to get, I got some of that wrong, but it won. Yeah, best and makeup. And yeah. it was, it was digital. All the press were digitally added. 
And so that is huh. a new confluence of art and technology that I wasn't aware was a thing. You know, I've, I've watched um, most seasons of a, of a show that I think was on USA originally called Face Off, where oh, prosthetic yeah. artists, um, it's, you know, top chef for, for uh, movie makeup uh, competition show. And so, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of prosthetic related things and I just didn't know that that, I mean, of course that's possible now that you say it to me, but I didn't know that technology had gone to that place. So that is all I can speak to. And it was interesting to find that out. And I'm curious kind of what that means for makeup moving forward. And that's all I got on the whale. That is really interesting. I had no idea that that was the case. I, I need to like take a moment and wrap my head around that. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. if that wins best, best makeup and not like effects, it's like, but I don't know. I don't know. Right. Don't know. I don't, I don't know enough to judge yet, but it was just interesting. A, a film that neither of us, well, I don't know, Iceland. you might've seen it since Joey talked about it, but uh, speaking of effects and stuff, uh, Avatar, the way of water one best visual effects which joey claims is a teen film so i don't know and i you know that was that was my guess of what would win just based on culture and what we knew um that was also the subject of one of jimmy kimmel's jokes saying that you know um james cameron is not here tonight and the rumor is that he's not here because he was not uh nominated in the for best director what did the Academy think he was? A woman? God. Which is, I mean, people were upset about that. Like, I don't like a woman as the punchline. But it it's not a it's not a disrespect to women. It's no. a disrespect to the Academy and their um, history of, you know, misogyny and in just determining worth of, of um, directors. So I I laughed out loud. I gave him a little clap for that one, but I understand that that uh, not everyone appreciated. I thought it was the, funny. Yeah. <laughs> so. A couple other ones I want to hit here before sort of like the the big one, but Sarah Pauly won best adapted yes. screenplay, and she, she's become or is actually a wonderful, wonderful filmmaker, uh, former child star, great actor as well. I bring her up here because we we actually talked about her. Um, a little bit on Heights of Slumber Party, but also uh, on my uh, other podcast, P.S. I Love Hoffman, the Philip Timmer Hoffman podcast, because she was the one originally cast in Almost Famous in the Kate Hudson role. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and she left the production because she felt like it was too big of a film for her, and she actually wanted to concentrate on smaller projects slash her own filmmaking. And there are some articles at the time, like after Kate Hudson gets nominated... For an Oscar. Did she win? I don't even remember. I know she was nominated at least. And we're like, oh my God, how could Sarah Pauly, you know, drop out of such a big film? What a career ender. Like that was like the scuttlebutt at the time. And when I saw her name pop up there, I was like, you know, bravo. F those people who said that. You got your statue. You're doing what you love. And that's awesome. So I want to give a shout out to Sarah Pauly. Not like she listens or anything, but I thought it was, you know. It felt good. No, agree. agree. Uh, yes. Uh, Kate Hudson was nominated okay. in 2001. Best Supporting Actress for Almost Famous did not win. I think it was just like at the time a big surprise that she was nominated. Because that was 
for her a, a breakout performance. Yeah. And, and then uh, quickly, Jamie Lee Curtis, Best Supporting Actress for the big winner of the night, of course, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, we've covered a lot here in High School Slumber Party uh, with Hall- Halloween uh, and Prom Night and a lot of things she did as a teen. And, of course, uh, Freaky Friday we covered here as well. So uh, well-versed in the Jamie Lee Curtis universe. Happy to see her win. Uh, but I really love saying that big moment. Kehi Kwan winning Best Supporting Actor for, again, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I watched that speech. It was super inspiring. Um, we've talked about him here on The Goonies and Encino Man. And I remember when we were talking The Goonies uh, and I was just reading about him and I was like, oh, he's a stunt performer now? And and like, that's great. It was a different career. I, I didn't see it for what it's been explained now that he, you know, he just sure. couldn't find roles in Hollywood. Reading a little bit more about his story, how uh, he was inspired by the film Crazy Rich Asians and decided to go back to acting and then to win this award. And of course, you know, Harrison Ford, who co-starred with him in uh, Temple of Doom being there. So that so that's the part that was really wonderful to see with my brother, because absolutely Goonies, and we had watched that many times. Um, Encino Man, yes, we went to in the theater. Our fun oh, uncle took us to that movie. Love it. But for us, Temple of Doom was, I think at least in the top three of our most rented films. In fact, and, and I've probably only seen Raiders once or twice. Wow. To me, Indiana Jones is the Temple of Doom. And it <laughs> is, I mean, I have not watched it recently. I remember enough to know that there are many, many aspects that do not age well, including and not limited to his character yeah. being named Short Round. So, so that was very special. And I remember one of my brother's, one of, my, one of my brother's kids said something about like, I, oh, oh, he's so excited. It made some comment. And, and my brother was like, wait until you get to watch the second Indiana Jones and you'll know why I, you're, you know, why Eisen and I are so excited. So that was wonderful. And then I think it's been all over the internet, the sort of side by side of mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, at, the two of them embracing at the time of the movie and on Oscar night. And that was you know, there's just it just fills fills the heart, right? Yeah, what what a nice moment. What a great story. Just redemption and, and just Perseverance. Perseverance. That's the word I'm looking for. Being able to, you know, in a and I understand there's so much garbage right now in the world and so many forces trying to go in a different direction. But to in a lifetime, I think, in what I've read from him and what I've read from uh, Michelle Yeoh as well to go from only having very one-dimensional stereotyped characters or no characters and, you know, being a, um, finding a profession within the industry you want to be in, but kind of not where you want to be to being celebrated and, and having options and, and being able to tell amazing stories to, for that to happen in a, in a lifetime is really inspiring. It's it's almost unfathomable, and I'm glad that it is the reality we live in today. And that's what I'm saying. Like I, not to make it about me because it's not about me, but like I regret not seeing that moment live. Mm. I feel robbed of that, and I only did it to myself because it was such a beautiful movie, uh, such a beautiful moment, and so just amazing 
to just see that. I am just so happy talking about it. The oh man. So overall, a good Oscar experience, a positive Oscar experience uh, for you as the viewer, and not just like because you were surrounded by family, but like. Sure. That aside, was was it a good Oscars? I mean, gosh, it was better than last year. <laughs> Just as my um, appreciation for other Jimmys have atrophied in the last six years, my love of Jimmy Kimmel has grown tremendously. So I enjoyed what he brought to the table. The um, I always look forward to the musical performances because I'm a musicals person. And even just that, the wide range of performances and like true performance art that was involved certainly that everything everywhere all at once was very stylized and it with nods to the movie the song that won natu natu or natu natu um from rrr was like a full dance production then you have a very interesting choice like a stripped down it looked like a vh1 like concert from lady gaga you know, it's just so many, and the, and and I'm not remembering them all, but um, I think it'd definitely be worth watching some of the um, uh, musical performances as well. It, yeah, definitely better than Oscars I've seen recently, and it wasn't just because of my um, delicious veggies and noodles. Mm. <laughs> really quickly, Jimmy Kimmel note: what a also like turnaround perception wise for him right because like i love jimmy kimmel now but this is someone who's like started on the man show and (laughs) also showing what can happen in a lifetime yes exactly uh so one more thing not oscar related but because people have asked me about it i feel compelled to talk about it um it is uh the Seth Rogen thing we said the other, or we shared the other day regarding his comments um again at least most of the internet not not you know I'm not saying that counts for everything but the internet definitely agreed with us and threw a lot of films at him with the what are you talking about Seth Rogen thing nice. there and um he actually sort of came out and half-assed apologized and his apology was like sort of I'm kidding it, it literally was I'm kidding but it was kind of I was joking relax sort of thing that's what you always want to hear a man say <laughs> I was kidding relax and then I and I texted you about this the other day. He got on this whole thing of how he was like butthurt about critics, uh, like oh you don't know what critics can do to artists out there when they're making their work. You know, I know people who never recover from that. I'm like oh really, buddy? <laughs> what did you say the other day? I, I don't I don't understand this guy. You know, <laughs> definitely it's an interesting era for his commentary and. Like a lot of people, I, I think maybe it's a um, sign that one should just maybe stop and listen for a little while. Very, very good call, Aislinn. Well, I thank all you AP listeners out there for stopping and listening to us for a while and enduring. Well, enduring sounds negative. Or enjoying, hopefully, the the journey of 2022 that Aislinn and I have been taking together. Can't wait. Aizen, for you to watch 52577. Can't wait for uh, you to listen to the interview with Patrick Reed Johnson because it's a really, really fun one. Uh, once again, check out the show on uh, social media, Instagram, High School Slumber Party. 
Uh, you can check out my personal Twitter, which I don't tweet a lot on, but it's O H M Y Rodriguez uh, Island. Any other, any other notes you want to give the listeners or places to follow you, find you if you want? Sure, absolutely. Always, you can go to CageClub.me to see what what we've all um, been doing uh, with our downtime in our hobby lives for the past. I don't know decade how long have we been uh collectively doing this (laughs) i love that you can kind of cross-reference guest appearances and things um so go check that out and and listen to a cage club podcast you haven't tried yet you never know there might be something else out there for you definitely definitely and you know my biggest takeaway from our conversation tonight is I'm incredibly jealous of your family's Oscar parties. So, uh, <laughs> well, next year, come on by. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop by Montana. No worries. Well, thanks, Iceland.